0: Can... Should... Hello, you're to episode one sixteen of Come Right with me. I'm Skip would be a Steph. Hey, Steph. Hey, Kip. Oh, how's it going, Steph?
1: You know, if it was any better, I would be a squirrel trying to connect the dots with some acorns somewhere. I don't know. That's nothing. I I was trying to make it something, and it it, it was nothing.
0: Whenever like I think of that, like I think of the uh, DVD of Austin Powers that we had. When I was a kid, and how like it, like I always said, if he was any cooler, he'd still be frozen. Whenever like anybody starts saying, if this was any blank, my mind always goes to that Austin Powers DVD cover for some reason,
1: <laughs> which is kind of on brand because I've modeled a lot of my aesthetic after Austin Powers, so I I get it. I mean, I'm there.
0: You're constantly just saying stuff like, "Oh, behave."
1: You have no idea. Like, do I make you randy? This, yeah, it's a good thing I got married before. That was not cool because I don't think I'd survive in today's dating world because that's that's my personality.
0: Uh, the, I actually would really love um to just like um there should be a reality show where it's like you have to like date the millionaire or whatever, but just have one person who's like, okay, you cannot reveal that for you to win this million dollars you need to have as much Austin Powers as you can like it's like each person has their own thing and they have to like do it with like without like the rest of the group guessing it's like oh like I'm like the Austin Powers person I have to like constantly like and stuff like oh yeah my twigs and bits ah, I baby. would watch
1: the hell out of that like why is that not a thing I, I am all on board I will help finance that venture that's That's amazing.
0: The fairest way to do that is to let everyone know. The funnier way to do that is to have everybody think there's one millionaire and you have to guess, except for one person who's like, you have to be Austin Powers.
1: Yeah, it kind of sounds like, um, I think that they're, at least from what I kind of saw over my wife's shoulder, because I don't actually watch a whole lot of TV. She was uh, watching some commercial because she likes all those, like, um, Bromantic type shows, but they were advertising. That they were bringing back that show. The average Joe. Do you remember that one?
0: Oh, my fucky! Are you for real?
1: I'm for real, but they're doing it different this time. Apparently, they're doing it to where they're bringing in average Joe, who's a millionaire, but also average Joe, who's not a millionaire. And that's their big twist. Like they're going to have the bachelorettes date both of them and decide who she quote unquote likes thinking that both of them are like these multimillionaire guys. I don't know, man, the straights are weird. Like I, I, I can't, I, I don't get it. <laughs> and I mean, we had Tila tequila, so I can't really like criticize a whole lot, but I don't know. It it just seems like there's a lot there to unpack and I'm, I'm not qualified to do it.
0: Oh, what's that show? Is it Joe billionaire? Is it something else? Like, there was like a really cruel version of this where like the person who was like the bachelor was the only one who wasn't in on the joke and like everybody else was like an actor oh, god know what I, show I, talking about
1: no i have no idea but i'm just i'm horrified because that just sounds like even in reality tv world that sounds brutal as shit why would you do that to someone
0: like a bunch of like really attractive like women were like hanging out and like
1: Flavor of Love. It was Flavor of Love.
0: Oh no, that's not that can't be. Flavor Flav
1: was the only one who wasn't in on the joke for that.
0: Uh <laughs> I don't okay.
1: know. Uh, yeah, no, I was making a whole big joke there because I actually, as far as reality TV shows go, loved that one and its requisite spin-offs afterwards. That was one of the few times in VH1 history I was like, well, I'll watch that.
0: We recently watched a show called uh, "Love Trap," which the like concept was that when somebody got like eliminated, they went through a trap door. Wow. Yeah,
1: that sounds brutal. Like you already got your heart broken. Let me put you through this fucking video game door, also. Yeah.
0: It sucked because like it was like okay, there's a, a bunch of people here for love. There's a bunch of people here that aren't for love, and they live money if they they win money if they trick you, but they're trapped because they already have like a boyfriend but it's also like i th- was like we should watch like an episode of this i want you to see them go through a like trap door and be like ha a what and also because it's fucked up that they're called traps i think that's a word that is taken
1: that's entirely different connotation depending on how you use it so yeah I, i'm i'm with you
0: i also had this so there's like a like wrestler named billy gunn who had like gay like gimmick in the 90s where he was an ass man and then they like, had like a song that was like i'm an ass man or whatever love to squeeze them more like
1: I remember hearing that song on the radio in the 90s
0: yeah that was like
1: his but it, but it was song. like booties or something it was like this really like like dumbed down version of him just essentially talking about how much he loved ass the entire time i yeah
0: he has like two sons like that are like wrestlers now And like a lot of people like call them the Ass Boys because there's like the sons of the Ass Man.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. Ass man. You can't just give anybody the title of Ass Man after that. You know, if you have sons, they have to be the Ass Boys until they earn that respect. So yeah, I'm with it. I get it.
0: And I made the faux pas of I saw a Twitter trend that was like, oh, Ass Boys is trending with wrestling. And the problem was the first tweet in that trend was relevant to the wrestling the second tweet was not it was the other (laughs) ass boy hashtag ass boy users and i was like oh no that's not what i was looking for today
1: so you went down a rabbit hole that you were entirely not prepared to to delve into yeah i've been uh
0: yeah i went down an asshole i was not prepared to be in
1: so everybody Kip is single now, if you were wondering,
0: <laughs> oh God. um, I am the farthest thing I could be from single, honestly. I have so many cats, Ugh.
1: yeah, and if any of you were wondering, there have been times when we were recording where they have knocked whole ass guitars down right <laughs> behind us while, you know. Our show was going on, so the cats 100% control everything. So Kip is not, and will never be single. Just in case anybody had their you know hearts waiting for that.
0: Yeah, no. Um, and if you ever do start to message me romantically, that's just like a fake Kip, like one of my many like impersonators who is like, oh man, like I wish I was witty and podcasting. I'm gonna make a fake Kip account on Twitter.
1: Just that, so everybody knows, if that ever happens with me also, I, I have no aspirations that I'm going to get to that level of having anyone message me. But just in case you do, if you ever get a flirty message, it's 100% my cat. Like, I I, I don't do that. My cat's a fucker, though.
0: Yeah. The sexy <laughs> fucker. Right? That's what you meant? That's what you meant?
1: Yeah, that's that's how we roll. It's, it's all good.
0: But no, um... We are a little off topic today because of the, of the post-COVID haze I'm in, but this is our uh, penultimate episode on Camerata Kiva. Besides like an episode that we will do that will cover the uh, hyper battle, choose your adventure, and the movie, but this is our second to last episodes, 33 through 40 of Camerata Kiva. And there's a lot to go on today.
1: It is. I mean... It- I, I feel like I've said it every week up until this point, but once again, I was in a position where I very much had to like not skip ahead and start watching more episodes because the deeper into this we get, the more that's revealed, the more I just want to be like, what is happening? So yeah, this has just been a super fun series, not only to explore, but this particular set of episodes, there's just a lot to unpack and I'm super excited to do it.
0: And I think this show definitely benefits from, from something that Himiki did not benefit from where it just gets to have the plots continue to build in a way that they didn't. And this show is definitely all pressure and all build up and all. I have a cat that is trying to podcast, but uh yeah,
1: the cat has to step in and verify what I said earlier. If you get a flirtatious message, it's not from either of us, it's from our cat. And the cat is just confirming. That's all it is.
0: Well, um Adam, um, the desk of ally is an unplugged microphone and that is also where the cat tree is. So actually there is a cat in the other microphone like purring right now, which is very cute. Uh you will not The cat hear that, is going
1: but... to find a way to plug that microphone and steal our entire episode. I'm convinced
0: that's not how microphones work like, you can't plug a microphone in and like <laughs> and, like suck up all the episode
1: well the cat will find a way have you not been around cats before
0: <laughs> that's true if you like sleep at night with a ca- <laughs> if you podcast at like night with a like cat in the room like it'll like steal your breath I've heard that before
1: exactly it's like the streamers that have figured out their cat's gonna fuck with them until they put a box next to their camera and then all of a sudden the cat's cool as shit that's going to be our cat
0: the podcast cat
1: exactly the common ride with me cat
0: that would be dope actually like i would like love having like a cat but that would probably have to be for like a podcast studio and like a weird like it's like a podcast like bodega cat basically
1: i i legit can picture that. just having like one centralized studio with Probably not one, like multiple cats. And every time one of us walks in, whether it's me or you or copacetic, we're all just like, hey, cat, I'm going to record now. And we have to kind of like get that permission before we can talk to each other. I can legit see that being a thing.
0: If that was the case, like I'm kind of imagining like those um, hamster tunnels, like throughout the whole that whole like space where it's like, oh, it's like tunnels for the cat.
1: It'd have to be. How else would you keep them from messing with the microphone cables?
0: My cats are actually pretty good with cables, but just not good with personal space.
1: Cats, to be fair.
0: Yeah, they are cats. But uh let's start up with episode thirty-three though. Supersonic Saga's flight.
1: Oh, goodness.
0: My short form for this episode, um super condensed, uh was relationship drama and saga first tension and i think that that relationship drama note is a little irrelevant i think it maybe does not tell enough of the story going on here
1: i have to give you that one of my notes for these two episodes is just what the fuck with these love triangles and i'm like it's easy to say that like episode 33 and 34. um because obviously you're starting to like scratch the surface of these things that have been going on the entire series. But for these two episodes in particular, it's really easy to look at them and be like, I'm literally watching a soap opera right now. So you have to like, kind of <laughs> Sorry. try and condense. No, you're fine. You have to kind of condense your knowledge about what has happened in the past and what's happening now and not kind of um let it affect how you're looking at the rest of the series too much because this is definitely like one of the things the show does really well. And it's dragging you into this drama, but then like pushing you back out really quickly.
0: Yeah. We're very much off of the two episode arc. Kind of we're a little bit like off center. Cause we are like half and half in like each two chunk, but also the plots are continuing between it more, but
1: Mm-hmm.
0: um my note for like 34 in like summary was um more emotional cucking Mio meets maya new Kengo, and the experiment and there's a lot of what i would call like emotional cucking going on here of like
1: oh yeah and and it's the weird thing about it is you're dealing with these cast of characters who have so much like affection for each other but there are so many things that are happening behind the scenes that they don't realize that there's this part of you that as much as you're happy that it's finally starting to come to that there's also that part of you that's like it is right in front of you like fucking you know pay attention to your surroundings it's it's a lot but yeah I did enjoy the fact that they used these couple of episodes in particular to really if you hadn't up to that point start to care about the protagonists. It it was yeah, it was a really well done, I thought, way of kind of like, even if up until now you've kinda of like minimized your emotional investment to be like, okay, this is why this person is the way they are and and it kinda of like systematically hits on all the major players without giving anybody too much focus but it gives you just enough background to make you be like okay I guess I'll watch the next episode because I need to know what happens after this
0: I think something that this show is very much um, making sure that it's clear in these episodes is that this is like you mentioned this is a soap opera like mm-hmm. these are all dramas but like you could see how like Cameron Hibiki is a coming of age story. This is very much like, no, it's a soap opera. Like, the plotline in the 80s is at this point, Otoya is making a violin with his soul with Maya. And we just see all these shots of like Yuri looking in from like the other room upset. Mm-hmm. And like, the plot in the 2000s is like, um, Taiga and Wataru both like somebody and are excited to meet who the other likes. Taiga says, Here's my fiance and it's Mio, and Wataru's like, oh, yeah, you can't beat the girl I like yet. (laughs) And, like, they're going on dates, and, like, there's this point, too, where, like, um, (sighs) Taiga takes Wataru on a date with him and Mio, because, like, he cares so much about, like, what he he thinks of her, I guess, or, like, him being in his life, and, like, they go on the teacup ride, because he doesn't like the teacups, so it's just, like, Wataru and, like, Mio... Like, sad and like loving each other, but like not wanting to hurt Tiger's feelings on the teacups. And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) It's great.
1: Yeah, it, it was great and it was painful to watch. Like, don't get me wrong. And I think that that's very much a testament to like that set of actors that they could convey so much emotion with so little in that scene. But that was also to me like a very good way to kind of point to Wataru's character this entire time because he for the most part knew more than most of the other characters did and he had the perfect opportunity to you know stand up right at that moment and say no this is my woman like I you know I don't care what you're doing or what your bag is like this is the girl that I have been talking to but he never did that like he never really stood up in that way and i think that that was a great bit of character development for him that he got that opportunity to just be like all right well this is the girl that my best friend's in love with and you know my friend my first love but i'm going to step aside and and let this happen and it you know obviously later on in the series things change a little bit but i thought it was a really good point to his character the fact that he was so willing to just be like, okay, well, I'm going to let her be happy, like, whatever this situation plays out to be. And as much as the show tried to frame it as, like, him kind of being weaker than the rest of the males in the series, it made him look a hell of a lot stronger because he was just the one that's like, okay, like, I don't think I can sum up to this guy that's my best friend and I'm going to just let these people in my life be happy it was just a really unique thing to play out in a series and I thought it was really cool the way they did it
0: you know I don't know cuz I feel like on one hand it's very much like um it's trying to be like this is the nice thing to do by loving the people around you but it's also trying to be like hey this isn't enough like you should definitely like care about your own interests like e- you should love who you love like you shouldn't just like let other people be happy sometimes like you need to say hey this isn't what i want or like i want something else but like um i love how like he has to like learn that and like it's like another massive test for like him is like shy like um goes back to like the like herbivore like male thing it's like oh like can he like still be a nice person? and, like, not care about these things while caring for his, like, own interest, but, like, to contrast him, Taiga like, comes in, like Nago, like Kotoya, and he is, like, the opposite of, like, the, like, herbivore male. He is the head of a company, he is like, actively getting engaged, like, he's meant to be, like, the very much, like, the, like, stand-in for, like, the guy who's doing all the things that you're supposed to, like, and you're told by society and we see how miserable he is. Like we see how he like is being manipulated by like Bishop and by standards. has to do all these things he does not want to do. So there's some like give and take, I think, there too, where it's like, hey, this is like also let's contrast him with like the person who's very much not <laughs> not Wataru, you know?
1: Yeah, and, well, and, and I love that. And one of the things that we'll touch on later when we talk about like our our favorite characters, one of mine honestly is Taiga, just because he has such a great like really dynamic character growth through this series of episodes we're gonna watch that I enjoyed a lot. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was um, Wataru against his dad. And, you know, I've enjoyed that dynamic before, but especially now when you're dealing with this teenage kid that is finally at a place where he's starting to, like, overcome all these psychological fears that he's always had. But you're playing it against his dad, who was just a super charismatic guy and could literally light up any room he walked into. And you're starting to really see, like how his origin story came about. It is such a fun way to play him and his dad's like past presence against each other and then start to culminate it into this, you know, thing with Taigu and Mio and you know there's so many conflicting yeah. relationships in his life and it's just so much fun to watch that play out.
0: And like not being able to like represent himself or even believe that like He should get to be with Mio when somebody else wants to be with her is like a big moment for him. It's like very much like, oh, crap. I have to like stand up for myself and want something that somebody else has like a like has the opposite in mind. That's terrifying. And I'm sure like we all hate conflict, but like the saddest moment of the whole series, which I don't think will be topped is the start of 34, though, because Wataru is humming and making a cake, and then, like, Kivat's like, oh, what's the cake for? You seem pretty happy. He's like, oh, I'm Squidward looking at the graves of my hopes and dreams. Like, just like, (laughs) this is a cake for the day I lost my first love. I've taken, like, another step towards being an adult. A man has to know what a broken heart feels like. And just, like, dude, (laughs) you can love somebody that, like, your friend loves. Or whatever.
1: Exact same thought and then on the other hand like the way I kind of condensed it for myself because I had to so I could get to the next episode or else I'd be a crying heap over like this sweet boy getting his heart broken by this girl who is just as conflicted as him but you know has probably more baggage anyway but just the fact that he was trying so hard to spin it into something positive I was just like God, like that is the biggest broken heart right there and i don't know I, but i will say that for 34 my favorite joke so far from this series came and it was yes. when he was talking to kievit and he was talking about his um his broken heart and you know his his annoying friend is trying to tell him Shizuka, well yeah. you know your next love might even be closer than you think and he's like Kevin and you just see Kevin like collapse to the floor, and he's like, "Oh, I died laughing!" Like that was the perfect foil for all the dramatic shit that had happened up to that point. And I was like, "Okay, that like this is the exact reason you would fall in love with Bataru because he has just such this beautiful innocence about him.
0: He yes, just like, does not yeah.
1: understand how the world works, and it is so endearing."
0: That's true. Like, he so does not understand how the world works. He has like frosting on his nose while he's like, and I've given up my first love because somebody I know might be minorly inconvenienced by me loving her. Like, (laughs) and he's just like, this is deeply sad. But But to him, that's his
1: best friend, even though he hasn't seen this guy in like 10 years. But he's still absolutely convinced that this is a person who has his best interests at heart. And that's why he's endearing because he just cannot see that there's a world where people might not accept, like, the world as he sees it, and that's kind of what makes his character arc so interesting, especially in this set of episodes, because you start to really see him kind of come into his own with those realization.
0: If there is anybody um, in our audience that is good at playing acoustic guitar and wants to make a viral, like, TikTok song, uh, just... um here's the hook, Um, like the chorus is, um, when you're 14 years old and a 22 year old doesn't like you, that's just, like, the, like, that is the vibe from Shizuka, and, like, I think, like, a song about that would be so perfect, because that's, like, exactly what being a teen is like, when you're like, why does this 8-year-older guy not want to marry me?
1: Right. But it's even funnier, like, when you put it into context, the fact that 8 Took him so fucking long to even realize he was in love with Mio, despite the fact that they spent all their time together, and that was like he was so star-crossed over her. That's just his personality. Like you would literally have to beat him over the head and tell him, I'm in love with you, for him to like register it. And I think that's a really fun thing about him is he like he encompasses that spirit of people who are a afraid to leave their house and you know unfortunately that's a very real thing that a lot of people deal with and he is an actor plays that so well because you can see him go from being or from playing this character who is petrified of the world to you know being a rock star in like music videos so you know it's entirely him as an actor like his range he's doing that and it's just it's fun (laughs) to see if you can put it in that context
0: I do love how his friends come out to the party and, like, they're, like, wearing, like, rabbit ears, or, or, like, Nago says, This is the happiest I've been in three years. I'm glad that you're, like, having this cake for, like, not having your love. And then, so like, you
1: can go be a soldier now because that's the kind of person Nago is.
0: Nago shows some character growth here, but also he's very much still a weirdo.
1: They start to kind of, like, let him be silly because he has kind of, like, um, been forced to let go of his exposition a little bit so you start to see him be a little bit just ridiculous as a character and it's it's fun to see from a guy who's been playing the straight man the entire series so i i enjoyed that he's like he's just he's a lot of fun especially when he's not trying to be and he just kind of accidentally falls into that like I don't know, Larry, Curly, and Mo role, even if it's inadvertently, like, there's something very fun about that for me.
0: I do like that, um, during the whole like, date bit, though, like, Tiger thinks that Watar is having fun because he's trying to look like he's having fun, and like, Tiger's like, that's perfect, like, I'm not gonna probe any deeper or know anymore. <laughs> if someone tells me they're all that they're alright with something, that's fine by me, and that will come up more with him later, because he's very much like that dude, but um, here's also where we see the new Kengo who's like I can't play guitar I'm deeply sad and I've been taking like, advantage of my Siva.
1: yeah I don't know I don't I, like I, we watched this up until episode 40 I still am not 100% on where or why Kengo's character developed the way it did I, I probably missed something but it's I don't know it, it's not my favorite thing I've ever seen I will say. so
0: Kengo is like a weird character because if you really like I would not remember the character if I was like reciting who is Akiva like, like no offense there are just a lot of characters who like I'd be like oh yeah like there's like 10 characters that like I would say are in the show before him you know
1: oh yeah I mean there's a lot to the show
0: Um, but his whole thing is like dreams and he can't like get first it's like oh like you don't care about my dream, but it's okay. Like I'll get over it. Or, Oh, Mio doesn't love me back, but it's okay. And then like just the extra sadness of like, okay, turns out I can't be in a band. Turns out I can't love the girl. And then turns out I can't even play guitar. Like he just gets like wrecked emotionally. Cause then also that's when like Nago was like, yeah, I don't care about Kengo. And then after he's not cared about, has no friends. He thinks is when like, the director, like, Shima found him in the rain and was like, I can make something of this. And just, fuck, dude.
1: And it's bizarre because, like, there really is never a provided reason for him to do that 180 for his character. And I, I think the reason why it kind of depressed me was because I loved Kango's character up to this point. I thought that it was really neat that they had somebody who was kind of like off the cuff who wasn't like, you know, adhering to the rules of this universe who was just kind of doing his own thing and appreciating the world as it was. So to kind of, to suddenly make him into a kango replicate, I was like, obviously it was fun because it got to do, you know, Kango's character in a different light, but on the other hand, I was just like yeah I'm not entirely on a hundred percent on this like it it just it didn't feel like it made sense
0: I think it made sense for like how hurt we saw him earlier and like I think it's a good character to have here with all the people who are like lying to themselves about who they are and like what the people around them want and like how happy they are like I think it's a it makes sense. it's also like I could see just this time going to somebody else Like, you know, like we get not a ton of Nago, not a ton of Megumi, uh, we get not a ton of like the eighties like here either. Like once we like have finished like the whole like rook section, the eighties just gets less time. Which is good because like we're like the show is progressing like in like a linear fashion. And and, like the like idea of um more of the two thousands taking over, like as we get close to the end of the past, that's cool. me but
1: still Mm -hmm. yeah and and i definitely see the value in that i don't know i just uh, there's a part of me obviously i've got a a softness for the megumi character and i really really hate the way that he kind of started treating her um yeah but then again he starts to do that to everyone (laughs) but once again it kind of feels like there isn't really a balance for that like there's no transition and that's the part that kind of annoys me about his character development like with everyone else even with nago and like zero even you can kind of see their character arc developing as it happens but with him it just kind of seems like this instantaneous thing and there's no real um there's no real reason to get attached to his character development so that's what i kind of took issue with
0: yeah um there's a couple other are like um small things in like this like arc though that are like um worth bringing up and I think um the um way that like the way that Wataru is lying to himself gets like represented by like Bloody Rose like breaking is very fun like I like love that like as like a metaphor of like oh, oh
1: you tried yeah, to lie too, to
0: absolutely. yourself and, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah uh we like here's some more like backstory it's like oh yeah like the king is supposed to have the kiva armor but like more specifically the dark kiva armor like what's dark kiva uh and like it's like that um and um this leads up to um mio meeting with maya because she's still like not sure about her role and not like not willing to kill people too at the end Mm -hmm. of like 34 and uh yeah let's um talk about 35 because this is the like the end of that like um arc started in 34 where it's um now we have like the new exit in like kengo and um we see um mia and maya talk and like um what do you think of seeing the like 2000s maya actually because that was like a big moment
1: yeah okay Obviously, I I have made it a point before to say that Queen Maya was one of my favorite characters and, and continues to be, don't get me wrong. I did very much appreciate the fact that they gave her as an actress a chance to let her character develop into this timeline. And the way that they did it, honestly, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I mean they really let that play out i felt like in a very natural way and it was just a lot of fun to kind of like watch her influence on both timelines and the fact that they didn't reduce her to like a background character like unfortunately they have a tendency to do in these shows but they kind of let her continue to be someone who was a big influence on what was happening in these timelines, even if, you know, uh, later on down the line, she kind of plays a more minor role. Like they just let her become. And I thought that was a very cool thing to see.
0: And I think um, it does. The fact that her storyline is not a surprise it is more the suspense of getting there and like the fact that we see her like without her powers with an eye patch, like looking all messed up, like 20 years later and like, Oh, I'm, I guess my old makeup is being super like pale and ashy, but like, it's like, yeah, like, it's like, okay. At the same time in the eighties, we see her saying shit like, Oh, you don't need to kill Yuri. I've already done something worse than death that taken something like worse than her life. And then in the 2000s, she's like, has an iPad. She's like, oh, I love my sons and I'm hope they're OK. And I've lost all my power and standing. And I loved this man that one time. And it's like, OK, like there's a gap here. And even if like it makes the gap feel satisfying, even if maybe in the 80s plotline, it just kind of happens, you know?
1: Right. Yeah and i think i think that's what's fun about her character though is the fact that yeah a lot of like the real action for her happens in the 80s but it doesn't like obviously her power diminishes in the 2000s but what she represents and what she's kind of um able to bring to the boys you know as their mother you start to really see that it's not you know, she's not a, um, like a one trick pony by any means, like everything that she does is very calculated. And that's something that the show gives you is if you give her the patience, her character seriously develops in like these small bounds. And it's really interesting to see, especially because they set her up initially to be like a very much just, straight up evil character, but it's when you like see her progressing through these timelines that you start to appreciate, like how much nuance there is to her as a person and like how she interacts with the world. And it's, I don't know, like she continues to be one of my favorite actors in the series, just because she maintains that no matter what's happening.
0: And I think, um, to go back to Kengo part of the reason that he might not hit as well is because he is not connected to time in the way that someone like Maya is like there are there is like a, a tendency in the show to have like gaps in characterization filled in by like the way that like arcs echo through time and like parrots and like other characters and i think Maya is a character who we see the full shape of who she is even if we don't see it connected in like each timeline like chronologically maybe but like with someone like Kango like we don't get that mirroring that like a lot of the show has so like it like can't seem kind of like limp as like a character I can comparison.
1: Oh yeah for sure and Kango in and of himself is a very interesting character but his yeah character development is a little bit I can't even say a little bit his character development is a lot slower in the series than a lot of the other players are. Maya has this continuous series of growth from the time that you see her, you know, through the series, you can almost clearly like chart her progression and like how she's interacting with the world and you know, somebody like Nago, he has a very clear set of intentions, so he doesn't have as much like variety. In how his character interacts with the world. But when he does, it's interesting in a different way because he learns big lessons at big times as opposed to like Maya, who, you know, adapts to her circumstances as they come along.
0: Yeah. And I think like Nago, like, he definitely gets just, he's around enough that he's like gotten a lot of consistent growth. Mm -hmm. and and, like we've seen it but yeah um another character like maya is is, um probably like jiro because like he's a character who like just the fact that we see where he's at 22 years later and we Mm -hmm. see where he is we've like fill in that gap a little bit like even if like we don't see it and like that's a very cool narrative trick too
1: yes definitely And I'll be the first one to admit, I I have a soft spot for Jiro. I had a soft spot for the character he played in Hibiki also. Like, I love that actor, and I love what he brings to the table. But especially this character, he turned out to be so much more well-rounded than he could have been had they abandoned his arc in the first, I don't know, ten episodes of the series. They very much could have just made him into this, you know crass jealous you know being of what he was and just kind of left it at that but it turns out that you know he comes along later and you know says that the protagonist's father was his friend despite the fact that they were fighting over a girl most of the series and i think that that kind of just you know speaks to their relationships yeah You know, just because he was just like, yeah, you know, I was fighting him for this girl's affection, but I still respected him as a person. And it's, I don't know, I just, I I love the fact that they didn't make him or his cohorts one dimensional and they very much could have because they play background characters for the most part. But they didn't, they let them have their own personalities and their own powers and, you know, kind of let them shine through the series in their own way.
0: And like it's been cool to see the gaps cause like there are enough gaps that it's just like um we don't necessarily see all of that relationship form but we see where it's gonna be we see like where his final character arc is and then like Mm -hmm. see bits of it and like I love how like um he finds like Yuri crying and then like goes to like help Kotoya and like we like finally see like he's like corpse-like and he's like been working on this like violin Mm -hmm. and then we also see him like in the 2000s being like yeah like um this violin has a prayer in it and that's what it needs and like that's like a that's just a very important moment i think for both of his relationships like the reluctance that he has for like how odd wataru is is like very sweet too
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's actually one of my notes. I think it's episode 38 where he opens up and he um, is looking at Wataru and he just says, man, this guy sure is a lot of trouble. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, for me, that just like summed up Jiro's character like 100%. Mm -hmm. Just to like look at someone that he knows he's supposed to be taken care of and just be filled with so much just annoyance about it almost like a father just to be like god I have to dig you out of another scrape but to not even be angry about it just to be like okay well this is what I'm doing today he's just he's such a fun character to watch because he always has a little bit of edge to him even when he's being a sweetheart Mm,
0: yeah Um, I really like um, how two big moments uh, that we get for Watar's episode are one he tells taiga that he cares about mio and that he's going to like go with him and like get that scenes of like the boys riding their motorcycles to like rescue her. And um, then when he actually makes his prayer and we see that like it's different, like Kotoya wanted to protect people and Matara wanted to make people happy. And like, even later on, like we see that like bloody rose, like, sounds different now and it like is like a different instrument now because of like a different thing in it. Which is a cool moment.
1: Yeah, that's something that me really kind of called back to Habiki just because, you know, the all of the heroes were based around music for that series. So just the fact that we had this, you know, I I don't know, I would almost call Waturo like an anti hero because he's not like the guy you'd look at and expect to be the one to save the world so the fact that he still utilizes that plot point of having music be the thing that's like the quote unquote savior to what's going on in the world it I thought that that was just so fucking cool and the way that they integrated like his dad making that violin and then him like standing up for himself against the king and making a This big character moment was so cool. I loved it. It was my favorite thing ever.
0: He became a dragon.
1: Yes. like he became the biggest dragon. He like he was taking on the world. He didn't give a fuck at that point just because he was protecting his woman. And it was just it was so endearing for his character. I just I loved that he got that really big like superhero moment. It was so fun to see.
0: They definitely have a fine line with Mio, where I think because of her reluctance to use her powers, she gets away with being damseled a little much, and but she she also does some stuff later where it's like a little bit more complex, which I I like really want to get to. But um, episode thirty six and thirty seven. Um, make one arc, which is uh, the like sword arc. Um, oh
1: God. My very first note for this is Jiro just said it's a fucking demon blade. Why are you guys playing with this?
0: We're kind of demons sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, um, when he became a dragon and like played the song, like a painting fell and r- revealed the like sword in the wall, and like it won't come out, and look, and like at l- like one point, um. Ataru tries but the sword hasn't chosen him so it's like okay but um, yeah this is like he's become like more independent here he's like in the next step of his life um, and th- this is like um happening at the same time as like the royal like wedding gets pressured and like see more and more how much Bishop kind of manipulates like Taiga too like it's just like um, the fang guys need this wedding. It's our number one ceremony. You have to do it soon.
1: Yeah. And that's actually one of the things that I kind of wrote off in my side notes when, you know, we talk about who our new, you know, favorite characters are for each arc. He's definitely in my top three just because of the fact that he finally gets a chance to shine. And, you know, obviously he shines as like being the sleazy right hand man that his unfortunately influenced a lot of history up to this point but just the fact that he finally gets to like step out of the shadows and be someone that you're like actively interacting with in the series creates a really fun dynamic especially because he's so much more experienced than everyone that he's talking to so You know, they don't even recognize at this point how much he's like pulling the strings. And that's a really fun dynamic to, you know, watch as a viewer. Obviously, not if you're in the middle of it, but, you know, as someone who's watching the show. Yeah, it's great.
0: I do love the scene where he comes to like Maya and is like, hey, what's up? Remember how you fell in love with a human and only you have the power to give somebody like the key of Arbor? Did you do that? Like, yes, come on, dude. Like, yes, if there's the son of a character who you knew was in love with her and is also half Faye Geyer and also she's the only person who could give Kiva armor and he's keep like that whole scene. I was like, dude, the answer is obvious. Of course she did this shit. Like, it's not like a question. Did you know?
1: Walked into a cave and been like, Phone this human guy because we've got some questions. Remember that human that you got expelled? expelled? (laughs) Exactly. You remember that period of time in the 80s when you were really obsessed with this violin player? We've got some questions.
0: Why is his son half Fangire and also have this arbor that only you could give him? Was that your fault? (laughs) Also, like, well, come on, why is
1: he so, so socially inept is that because of you or his dad because we need a lot of questions answered at this point
0: after age 5 he was raised by a bat <laughs>
1: <laughs> and one that speaks in like game show context so you have to really have your finger to the pulse with those communications
0: I do like how um, in the 80s Oitoya like once he's finished with Bloody Rose He's like alright Maya Bye I'm gonna go love my My girlfriend and like Just like at this point Like Yuri's like fuck this shit And she just exactly. like gets into Her arc of I'm just gonna beat the shit out of Like Maya eventually Okay <laughs>
1: One of my notes is, dude, just let her beat the shit of that fingery, because if she doesn't, she's going to beat the shit out of you. Like, honestly, let her get that aggression out, because you already done fucked up, so.
0: I think there's even a way to say, hey, hey babe, love ya, she wants to help me make like a demon violin, this is kind of like on like my vision board, like one of those things that I think if you love me, you let me do, totally just let it happen. I promise I'll come back to you when this violin's done, and I'm not gonna kiss her. Please don't push me away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can see me trying to say that to my wife, and for having Yuri's reaction, which would be beating the shit out of me. So I, you know, I get it. I've been there.
0: Yeah. Um, and um, episode um thirty six like has like two interesting moments. One is that. Mio decides to talk to Kengo for advice. And Kengo's like, "Ah, oh, you must love me from that time that I loved you. And she's like, no, sorry. I was actually trying to get advice for this other person that I love. The same person from last time. <laughs> it's just so awkward.
1: It, it, it is. And it's even more awkward because you're like, Kengo, you know better. I mean, honestly, you, you do. Like, you have tried to put the moves on literally every girl in this series up to this point and not one of them has reciprocated so why would this be the person and on top of that i was just like okay you've already got the two men that you love in the bushes trying to figure out who it is you're enamored with but this douchebag is who you go to for advice like come on just none of it was adding up for me
0: and like of course like this is like where we see the first time that like Saga tries to fight like Kiva and like it's in like I feel, like Fountain where all the best fights are. And um the episode ends with um the confession. They know they love each other. And that's where like um at the start of, of like 37, like um Wataru tells Mio, Don't stop lying, you don't love me. Like you probably love Taiga. And then we see like it in the background, like as a common writer like, how sad Tyga is as he, like, untransforms, like, she loves what's wrong? What the hell?
1: <laughs> it's impossible.
0: It's impossible. I'm the king. The queen's my girl. And <laughs> I love how, like, he goes from, like, hey, what's up, arranged marriage, to, like, but, like, I was starting to, like, think in my head that we were things, so I was, like, getting hopeful, so maybe I kind of like you now. It's, like, it's like, you can't go, huh? Like, you can't go from, huh, it sucks to word like an arranged marriage, so you're mine. (laughs) That's a leap, I think, dude.
1: Yeah, and it was weird because this was, you know, I I have learned from these shows that obviously with all of these characters, you have to reserve judgment because none of them are ever what they seem on the surface. And, you know, we saw that with Nago Uh, through much of the series. He was just so much the straight man. But then, you know. You start to see him as he becomes human and, um, start to really endear himself. And I kind of had that same thing with Tyga, you know, he initially comes in is like this character that's too good to be true. He's so understanding and he's so sweet and he wants to take care of his friends and family and this, that, and the other. And you start to like, kind of see how being the King, the leader has you know worked his thinking but you kind of still have these moments with him or you're just like maybe though and the fact that they can play that so well against mio's character and the kind of person that she represents and um put it into play into such a way where you can almost see them together is a really really neat dynamic that i was not expecting from this series
0: i glad that we see more of his dark side though Because like he just like won't kill Wataru but punches him calls a week he's just so shitty to him the whole episode there's this point where like the mouse group of like Fangire that like want revenge on the queen but are like any queen will do like are just like beating the crap out of Wataru and then like is like look that's what happens he can't protect right. you we also see like Yuri like trying to like she takes Ixa and tries to fight, but, like, gets hurt, and, like, it's a whole thing of, like, here's where, like, Maya's saying, like, I've taken something more than her life from her, and, like, not for nothing, there's a scene in, like, episode, like, 40, I think, where she says that to Hotoya, and, like, he's like, what do you mean? She's like, what do you think I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's, like, kind of evil thing to say at this point, uh, but, yeah, um, like, Taiga also says that like he's about to execute like Mio when he sees like Wataru getting his ass beat. He's like, No, watch this. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we can make this work. Yeah.
1: I'm not watch gonna execute you. Just watch your boyfriend get beat up. It's fine.
0: It's fine. And that of course, like um leads to um Jiro grabs the hurt Wataru and says, think about being stronger to defend Mio and your love. And that's when he can like take the like Zanvat sword out but it's like too much power it makes some berserk so the like three arms monsters become a like limiter so he can jerk off his sword
1: my note for this was why are there fucking rose petals all over the floor like why are we doing this is a hazard if nothing else
0: it's a castle inside a dragon there's a lot of rose petals
1: yeah unfortunately it took me a really long time to make that connection but yeah that's that's where we went
0: and they wanted to show off the scene of the opening where there's a throne with rose petals as yeah. seen in our art for the seasons of come right with me. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they like become like a limiter and help him like use the sword's power up because he needs to be powered up because he got his form kind of quick in the show to protect mm-hmm. the actor's neck. So they need to be like, now he's stronger. Here's a sword. But yeah, um, the sword's cool, I guess. But like, yeah, like, has to like to jerk the sword to use it
1: problem though is it's it's a really cool sword and i'm going to 100 percent give credit to that but you know i have to say that the king's transformation sequences are still the best thing about this set of uh episodes because uh, between his um, killing seal and the fact that when he transforms, it like is suddenly night and you get this great background in the set. Like there's something about the way that tiger transforms that yeah. is extremely transcendent of all the other characters. Like he 100% sets up his role as the Regal. Yeah. Yeah. He is the king 100% and it's a lot of fun to watch.
0: And this whole like like part snake part ufo like motif and all this stuff and like like it's like just um such a cool design like i would love to see that design show up more and like crossover stuff like later on but like it's just like um i had that belt actually like way back when because i was like oh this is only like 40 bucks (laughs) i'm a teen i'll buy that and um yeah so i just um Love that whole suit too. Just and like his like song, like mm-hmm. solid. Um
1: Yeah, he just he he had such a great like ambience to his entire transformation. And not to say that the rest of them didn't, because most of them do have really, really cool transition arcs, but there's something about the way that every time Taiga transforms, it's just fucking magical. Like they really play up that whole him being the king thing in such a cool way and I just I love every time he transforms even if I look at his character sometimes and I'm like oh
0: and this uh, um th- this episode like ends uh, with um, Mio defending Taiga and th- then everyone sees who they are and they're like Bataru's Kiva and Tar's like your fingers and then like <laughs> it's like oh, oh no what and, like, it, like, bleeds, like, right in 238, where he just runs screaming and then passes out in the woods. And that's where Jiro says. He's, like, lots of trouble, which is true. That is the most trouble you could be, I think.
1: Yeah, especially because he, like, um, when he wakes up from that in Jiro's palace, he's, like, trying to completely delude himself as to what Jiro's
0: palace is a different point. place. That's, like, where he, like, takes the ladies.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good. Uh, my bad. <laughs> when he takes it back to the king's palace where he currently resides, um but yeah, that's it, it's a really big moment for him to just be like, you can't like live in this false reality anymore. You have to come to terms with what's actually happened, and what's actually happened is your best friend and your girlfriend are these things that you have been fighting this entire time. So you know, get to grips.
0: Yeah, and um. I love how like this conversation gets followed up by Bishop manipulating um Taiga and then Maya and like Taiga's just like Alright cool I'm gonna go see my fucking mom and then like Mio is like just cries. <laughs> She's like ah, I don't wanna kill people. I just wanna have a boyfriend and like
1: concerned with Mio, this entire um set of episodes yeah. and i actually made a note about it i was like she cannot keep fucking passing out like that like she cannot just have people continuously pushing her against trees and making her lose consciousness like from a health perspective that girl needs to be checked out like nobody passes out that easily
0: all she's doing is being told to kill people crying it's like i don't want to kill this person or like getting punched and passing out
1: clay like she's always being knocked against a tree like get it together girl seriously
0: Uh, there's this like TV trope of like the designated female submission spot and like it's like how like in a lot of like TV and movies like if you grab a like a like woman like on like the like upper arm she can't stop you and she's like all of a sudden like completely like hostage and like it's like that's kind of what she has like a oh which she gets like attacked by anything like Despite the fact that she's meant to be as strong as Kiva and like all this stuff, she's just like completely like take it out as a little much.
1: It reminds me of those. Have you heard of those um, cats? They're called ragdoll cats that if you touch them, they immediately play dead.
0: (coughs) Okay. yeah, yeah.
1: That's what she reminds me of. I only say that because I have an aunt that literally bought them for years. Those particular type of cats just to fuck with her grandkids. Just so when they would pick them up and they would play dead, she'd be like, What did you do to my cat?
0: Oh, that's first up.
1: Well, there's a long line of trauma in my family.
0: <laughs> there's a long but line anyway. of trauma in my family.
1: <laughs> but anyway, Mia reminds me of one of those cats. Like the second you touch her, she immediately passes out. So I, I kind of feel like that's what her character was going for.
0: I will say good on her though, because she is playing a much different character in this show than her previous Kamen writer role who was very much a headstrong uh, got damseled a bit but was at least she put up more of a fight as a human than Mio puts up as the queen of Delic fake is what I'll say
1: I will say though that with the character that she plays she you know Mio is very much like this this quiet shy reserved character Yeah, but she does have these moments where you can kind of see like her main character bot, I guess, coming forth. Mm -hmm. And one of those instances is 100% when she goes to confront Queen Maya and tell her, I don't want to be queen. Like, what do I need to do to get rid of this? For a character that plays someone who is so, um, shy and reserved to really face up to her fears and to go to the person that came before her and say, I don't want this. Tell me how to fix it. Like, that's a really cool development for her character arc. Just the fact that she was willing to own up to that, you know, in a way that a lot of the other characters are still struggling to do.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about Maya's relationship with the Kings. Cause we see this moment of her getting choked by the King who, um, appeared in the last episode and by Tyga in the present and they're both like burning her throat as they choke her and um she makes a point of like tiger used to sound just like your father and like it's like a big thing but um she also like deals with the kid so what do you think of the king when he showed up actually in the 80s
1: oh god okay so when the king showed up my first thought was okay well there's no way that's not Wataru's dad they've got the exact same hairstyle but aside from that, like, it, it kind of seemed um like overkill, like the way his character came in and tried to dominate the scene. But you already had an actress as strong as the one that was playing Queen Maya. So it, it almost felt like on screen they were struggling for, like, the spotlight. It was it was a really weird thing for me to see.
0: <laughs> he's not Wataru's dad. He's like Taiga's dad.
1: Oh, well, see.
0: That's why I got confused. Yeah, we don't uh but um, he's such a weird vibe because he shows up in like all leather and like shades and shit and like a whole like labyrinth, like David Bowie thing going on. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, um <coughs> his like first scene is like he asks Maya, Do you love Kotoya? And she says, What if I do? And he throws the sword in the wall to like set up why it's there later. And like his justification is if I was holding that sword, I would kill you. If I killed you, it would mean that I loved you and I refuse to love anybody. And that's like his whole like shit later on where he's just like, yeah, I don't care about stuff. That's why I have to throw my like swords away. So I don't kill you out of love and jealousy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's it's, it's weird because I felt like there was a lot of potential for that character, but he comes off as really one dimensional. And it's kind of hard to get invested in him like you can the rest of the characters in the series. Which is
0: probably fine though. He's just like meant to be there to be like a final boss character, I think, for that timeline.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And um we find out that um Wataru is, is the half brother, of taiga and like half Fengah, which like is like a whole setup there where it's like, Oh, um, this means a lot. This changes everything. Um and then they like find out when like they go back of Pitar. But then, like, um, the thing that Maya told Mio was that, like, if you stop being queen, you'll be hunted. And like, we see because there's like a Grim Reaper Fangire that is like resurrecting old Fangire to hunt the queen and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. the, that's the whole point here. And yeah, um, and like it gets even more soap opera in like 39 because it's like Jiro narrowly escapes like uh the like dark kiva um there's a lot of like brother talk yeah um the arms monsters are like all almost killed taiga's very big on like what can I do and like we see Wataru trying to like level with like being half Fangire here and like he tells like the blue sky group hey I'm Kiva also I'm half Fangire and he tells like Taiga oh it's okay we can figure this out and everybody's against him it's just like nope gotta kill you or take advantage of you
1: yeah one of the things that i wrote in my notes was the blue sky group is a bunch of assholes
0: so like um we see that like um wataru tells shima i want to build a bridge between like humans and like vangire and shima shakes his hand that goes in the shower and like is sad because he has scars because he like raised taiga I didn't love him, I guess, but, um, just, like, the whole, like, um, way they're, like, plotting to kill him and they have, like, special, like, Kamarider, like, Kuga, like, anti-Fangire bullets just for Kiva. Um, we, like, um, hear that, um, the rest of the, like, Fangire, like, royalty, like, Taga says stuff, like, oh, like, I'm gonna have my brother we're gonna rule, it's gonna be great. And then, like, um, Human or just cattle? And then, like on the same walk home, he gets accosted by Mio, who's like, "Hug! Oh, I'm so glad! Like, we're both or kill Tiger and become cake."
1: Oh my gosh! Yes, that was such a big mind fuck out of nowhere. I was like, Mio, you are not this person. Stop it. Where are we going with this?
0: The way the episode like ends, where we see like wataru gets like berserk mode by like the like fangai or like blood magic or whatever and like almost like hurts spagumi like goes into next time where there's this incredible scene of taiga and mio are like having lunch or something and she's like eating some like pastry and he's like drinking a lukewarm water like he does and he's talking about like it's gonna be great Tara will be my right hand man, and like we'll get married, and like you'll love me, and we'll have a great time. Just like eating this pastry, like I'm gonna fucking have him kill your ass because I love him. (laughs) Just like great little scene.
1: Bizarre because it seemed like it. I, I get what they were doing from like a character perspective, but for her to just suddenly be on board with all this was so bizarre. It just it didn't feel like it had the context that they were expecting.
0: It definitely felt like Mia was like. All of a sudden very ruthless like willing to have like wataru kill Taiga, because like to be queen and stuff. She's like oh this way i won't be hunted till i'm dead and exactly. i can also like the boy i like
1: yeah yeah and it was just bizarre because it was like this is not the person that mio has been up to this point like please don't don't do that don't make her into like something else because she was fine the way she was. <laughs> I, I I liked the way that she interacted with Batara up to this point. I don't want her to become like another Queen Maya. Queen Maya is fine on her own. She doesn't need like a doppelganger.
0: I do have to wonder if like it makes some sense because like how the past 10 episodes has just been her like crying about having to kill people or like get married. Maybe she's just like th- like super desperate this is my way out. The boy I like just has to kill the boy that I am friends with. And like, maybe that's it. And like, she'll come to like terms with that and be like, Oh, that's fucked up. That's not me. But still like kind of makes sense as far as like, we have just seen her in constant trauma and she like has it out. Finally.
1: Yeah, I get that. And, you know, honestly, I've, Have given a pass to all the male characters up to this point because I know with with shows like this, like there's always a little bit of development, you can never take them at face value. So, I need to give her the same kind of leniency. Um, it's just unfortunate because I've seen so many great characters rewritten in the middle of the series before, yeah, they're suddenly completely different, and I'm afraid that that's what they're doing with her. And I really don't want to see it because she had so much potential. Not being like the queen of the fingery up to this point. So I'd like to see that develop more, but you know, you also can't expect a hell of a lot from the producers on these shows. So I'm trying to keep my expectations in check.
0: She's definitely had much more screen time than I remember watching back in like 2008. So I think part of the postmortem that we do at the end of like next time is going to be like, hey, Mio, huh? And like, what, th- th- what, She ultimately is, but yeah. Um, we get like a bit more 80s, and basically, Otoya stops Yuri from attacking like Maya, but like in the end, like, uh, she still gets to Maya and like fights her, and it's like, yeah, uh, she's mad. She's like, yeah, like you're trying to steal my man and stuff, and like I can't connect to him about his art and his genius, and it's weird. Um, it's a little... The pain's maybe not as bad for the character arcs for her, and to an extent like Megumi, because they did like have a major plotline end, so I get that they're in a little bit of like a weird limbo, but it does suck that like they're not given more to do.
1: Especially because there was so much put into their relationship initially, like from the start of the series and where they were going and what they were doing. Um, so it's weird to not you know kind of have more of that and try to you know manage expectations but you know i i see it and i get it and you know obviously i'm gonna keep watching so i'm anxious to see kind of how that plays out in the long term
0: what do you think of the scene where the king is stalking otoya
1: that was difficult for me Obviously because I love Atoya so much, he's probably one of my favorite characters in the series because he's just so fucking ridiculous, you can't not love him. But the fact that while it was happening, he was just, you know, he continued to be himself, he was so invested in his own world that it took him a while to even realize he was being stalked. And then even after he did, like, it wasn't until the very last minute he really took any kind of notice or alarm to it. And up until that point, he was just kind of shrugging his shoulders like, "Yeah, shit happens. People get attacked by ghosts constantly. It is it is what it is. So I really love the fact that he always has that amount of range to him. And I liked even when like it directly showed that the king was stalking him. He gave still a little bit of a reaction, but... Not the kind you'd expect if you realized you were being stalked by the king of the Fangiri. So it, it it felt very on brand for, you know, who he had been up to this point. So it was it was definitely fun to see.
0: Honestly, I think the king as a character is completely justified by the fact that when he walks past and then Koitoi realizes that all of his like steps have gone into concrete and are on fire. That's some old school like devil shit. <laughs> and, like, I fucking love that. Like, it, that was so dumb. But honestly, if you're just like, oh, this character's so evil that when they step on the concrete, they, like, leave footprints and there's, like, fire in them, that's great. I love that shit, honestly. Like, that's that's as much as I need to know about this guy.
1: The series does, like, honest super super high level and it's something that i've noticed before but today i really took notice of when i was watching an episode and they were doing um obviously i like the opening credits just because it they're catchy but today i think was the first time i really sat down and like looked at how they do that that cut between the decades and oh
0: they were great this time
1: Oh, yeah, and it's something that this show does so exceptionally well, and that's just a part of it, is the fact that the producers have a way of eliciting so much emotion with just a couple of camera tricks, and that's exactly what they did with this whole scene and those flaming footsteps, because it's not, you know, it's not a huge camera trick. But it is something that, like, when you look at it, you know exactly what you're supposed to be thinking and feeling at that moment, even with a character as lighthearted as his is. And to pull that all together and make you still feel, like, that sense of dread, despite, like, knowing that this was inevitable because he's fucking with the Queen's woman. It was just so great. It was so great. Like, (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it. It was just so much fun involved with as like someone watching the series
0: and I love how we get the like last bit for the 80s plotline this time is the king saying you can live you just got to kill him and that's probably that's a I really can't wait to see um, that arc I remember some of the arc of like the arms monsters like reckoning with the fact that they they have been given this offer to kill him I think that's a very that will be where we see where we stand on these characters I think like how well they like play that for sure Um, and like in the present um, Wataru is back to being shut
1: <laughs> locked everything up put up barbed wire like he went full force
0: and then when like they try and get in it's home alone in there
1: <laughs> yes that log flying at their foreheads that's amazing
0: he like electrified his um like doorknob he has a slide like on his stairs that, like leads people outside he has like lizards and stuff i guess like in his ceiling just you know like whole nine yeah, yards. he
1: was having no part of it like he quite literally wanted to be left alone and he was telling everybody that in the best way he could and they just weren't listening
0: and like i also liked how he locked up um like the like um he locked up like Kivat, like he locked up like Tatsilot. He locked up like bloody like Rose and got rid of his phone after that first time or like
1: did he did he put him in little cages. Lives. They were begging him to get out and he was just like, Nope, fuck you guys. You only get me into trouble.
0: And, like mid episode, like he like saves Kengo's life and like Nago's life and was like, just wanna let you know that time Kivat answered my phone, not gonna happen again. <laughs> Goodbye. Rest of my life.
1: Fuck you and fuck Kiva. I'm done with
0: this shit. With, like, of course, like, um, my favorite scene for Tyga is when, when the bishop, like, no, um, when he's talking to Shima and she like, I took care of you because of a promise to your mom, but you're a bastard and I hate you. <laughs> but, um, he, like he asked him to like let's kill kiva together and the tag is like wataru is mine he's my little brother and i will love him it's like oh yeah that's entirely his shit huh just to be that's what he thinks is gonna happen that's like what he thinks love is that's what he thinks like this
1: mm-hmm. yeah but i mean that's like for such a small interaction that's a really great insight into taiga's character too Because you kind of see that with Mio and the way he treats her. But to him, that quite literally is what love is. For him to be able to control their lives and tell them what's good for them and what isn't. And to be able to step in and be the superhero anytime the situation calls for it. Like, to him, that is what love is. For him to be in control of everything. Um, So it's a really great, like, play on his character to be dealing with characters like... Mio Mataru, who yeah just don't really have a clear sense of how the rest of society works and are kind of playing by their own rules and um i think that's what makes such a great foil in those relationships
0: and like the two most fucked fuckers in this show are shiba and bishop and they're his two like parental figures like
1: right they are the people who are giving him advice and he's listening to it which is the worst part
0: <laughs> yeah like he was like raised by shima and then like left when he was like in high school or or like middle school like he was like um constantly being told things by bishop it's like of course he has no proper understanding of people and their value and yeah
1: yeah and i think that that's i, I obviously i'm i'm kind of like predicting here because I haven't watched ahead but I think that that's going to be kind of like his character saving grace in the future is just the fact that I I think that as a character he knows that he doesn't know better so it might make him a little bit more open to learning when they start to kind of push this you know not all humans are terrible narrative so that hopefully is going to be what makes him not the bad guy in the future
0: and of course we can't ignore that um this episode is titled encore nago ixa explosively returns nago's ixa again and he fights in a costco parking lot and you can see the costco in the background which i actually didn't know there were costcos in japan but uh
1: i didn't either learn something
0: yeah uh and that's like um our big cliffhanger is nago is once again ixa and then he's fighting this jellyfish and then the bishop and then also Tiger shows up but oh, he's just getting wrecked. And will he die? Will he live? Who knows. And uh we do also forgot to mention but um we see like a flashback to when Wataru was dropped off at the house as like a 5-year-old.
1: Oh my god, that was so fucking heartbreaking. Like I I had to fight back tears for that. It was so much.
0: And he flashes back to that age again at the end of episode 40, where he's like in the bed, like trying not to hear Bloody Rose. And he's like, we see him once again as a child. It's like, oh, wow, this is terrible.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, one thing that this show is great for is like tugging on your heartstrings if you've ever suffered from any kind of like mental illness or abandonment issue, like this covers all of it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So you're not going to get around like having emotions. If you watch this, this is not a straight action show. This is something that you're going to, you know, you're going to have to process through whether you like it or not.
0: Like, that's my big thing of like, I'm right. It's like, oh, this is like a series that changes this genre a little bit. It's like, okay, how do we uh, talk about what it's like to be a person? who has this like role that's like complicated and like, like, what does it mean to be like a, like a writer? Like what does it mean to be a person that has power? Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: it's inherently messed up. And sometimes the way they do it is like a coming of age story. Like, and sometimes it's just straight soap opera. And this whole bit leaned into it. The most hard, just like, this is what we are. Like, if you're not on board with Kiva, I'm sorry, but we just had a bunch of people, Like in the woods, yelling and passing out as they found out that they're all monsters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that that's what makes the series so fun too. Though is because obviously, you know, if if you look at Wataru and no one else in the series, you're going to realize several like really distinct mental illnesses that are happening all at one time. But it doesn't ever like spotlight any of them in an uncomfortable and not just with him but all the characters are dealing with something um but they the writers also make it very accessible and make it to where you can almost put yourself in that position and be like okay if i was in his position and i was dealing with this much social anxiety how would i handle it like it, it whether you mean to or not it puts you in a very empathetic like headspace to start to deal with what these characters are dealing with. And that's great to see. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of that from shows like this. So it's, it's fun.
0: Yeah. And, um, I, it makes me think as much as like, I I love current, like I enjoy Captain Rider throughout, but my, my favorite time period is like this, like 10 year, like stretch where like they were doing all these weird experiments. Like, um, we'll talk more, uh, um in, in like two weeks but um all three of the potential next shows are of a similar stripe i think of like just doing a very different thing and just like each show of this like couple year stretch is like a interesting take that's a, just like a different genre and like that's like really what made me like a like major fans be like oh is this like a coming of story oh is this is like a weird like um uh, boyfriend simulator oh this is like a soap opera it's very it's like a one of the better runs for any franchise that i can think of is like from like kuga to like kiva honestly
1: i did because it it seems like every series we watch i get more and more invested in i always say you know I'm going to look at this from a strictly professional level. I just have to take notes on it. I don't have to get attached to the it never fucking happens. I always get attached to the characters. I always get attached to the story. I always want to binge watch it in two hours. Like I need to quit just fooling myself.
0: Yeah. Um and to that point, um we're almost done with Kiva. Um we have the movie and the hyper battle video, which will be one episode and we have last eight episodes. I think currently the plan is to next week do the movie in the hyper battle and like in two weeks do those like last eight episodes um mm-hmm. three shows from this rough time period um Hibiki was the sixth of these uh nine commercial shows and Kiva was the ninth so um we're actually considering uh the eighth the the eighth the fourth and the fifth shows which are uh Writer Deno, writer Blade, and Camerader Fives. Um, we'll talk about what we're going to pick then, but they're each so interesting, I think. Um, and um, I just uh, do think they'll have a lot to say on. Uh, just It's been at least 10 years for each of those shows for me as well, nice. so it's also interesting. But um, we sh- should talk about who our top three favorite characters were from this show episodes.
1: Before we do that, I want to tell you what my title for episode 40 was, and I bet you can guess.
0: Okay. Hmm. Your your title for episode 40? Yeah. Not Nago Encore Explosively Returns.
1: <laughs> no, it's what my last episode has been this entire series. God damn it, Kip, why are we stopping now?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to derail there. Top no, this difference. show comes
0: to you fast. Um, I remember there's a lot that, that goes on these last c- couple episodes. There's at least three plot lines that I can think of that I kind of thought happened already or would have started by now.
1: Oh, God, I'm I'm so nervous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've become
1: so invested in these characters. But next uh, week, the
0: movie and the week oh after God. that, the final eight. Um, and we are looking at that whole choose your adventure hyper battle video, which i looked at a little bit and it's a little it seemed i'm gonna wait to say what i'm about to say maybe but (laughs) it 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 comes off a little porny is all i'll say
1: oh fantastic we'll have a repeat of valentine's day
0: (laughs) but no uh speaking of the valentine's day repeat who are your three valentines this time steph
1: my three valentines this time are um Tyga, because I really appreciated the way that we got to see his character kind of have his hills and valleys through this. Yeah. Um, Bishop, because I know he's been here through the entire series, but this is the first time we really get to see, like, what his role is and how much he's played throughout the timelines up until now. So that was super cool to see. Um, And finally, Mio, just because she's finally getting a voice for the first time in this entire series. I mean, it's been slow in coming, and obviously I'm hoping that in the next couple episodes she works out a little bit more, but I really loved seeing her kind of go from, like, this character that barely had a presence to the queen of the Fanguri, who is perfectly willing to have her boyfriend kill the king. I, I thought that was a really interesting dynamic for her character. So, yeah, those are my three.
0: Oh yeah, um I definitely say Taiga. He's messed up in a fun way. Um I think Mio uh is also great. Um where I will diverge though is I think I'm gonna go with Nago because I feel like Nago is at least doing a lot. It doesn't quite make sense, but like and like we didn't like talk a ton, but he's very supportive. We see him like caring about Wataru and thinking that like he's okay to be Kiva and all this stuff. Um so yeah, um those are my three, but um, what was your favorite uh design or effect from these?
1: I'm gonna have it, it was a strong tie, and i I hate to be that person, but um I'm gonna say is that it's a definite tie between um the backgrounds and the way that um Tyga transforms because he always has the coolest fucking it transforms to night and it gets this really dynamic lighting and it's really fun to see but i also really liked um and i'm i don't know the real word for him but the grim Reaper, reaper Fangiri that goes after queen maya um i really liked both of those
0: i like saga um like i'm right saga is a great design Are We. Only saw it in shadows last time, so I'm gonna say it's new. Uh, just a like a leather pants and some like stained glass, just oh, like yeah. mom used to make.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: But um, speaking of which, what outfit was your favorite this time around?
1: Oh man, um, I'm gonna say when um Kiva transforms to the dragon form just okay. because I was not prepared for that. That was completely unexpected for me. So the way that that character kind of comes together and like rises up and is like all on board to fight the Kings um, at there. That was just so much fun to see.
0: Um, I think that um my favorite outfit would have to be when Tyga has the like silky pink shirt on and the khakis <laughs> and like the like best of life or whatever like shirt on i started
1: laughing because i knew exactly which outfit you were talking about as soon as you said it
0: yeah just there's a lot of um, lot of weird pizzazz stuff there. pizzazz yeah these <laughs> episodes uh but that brings us to the end and uh when you're having some uh p- pizzazz stuff where people <laughs> find you
1: um you can find me on twitter at um hat underscore sis or on uh my website www.arcademilitia.com Um we're unfortunately going to be missing an episode because we needed to take a little bit of mental health time and take a week off, but we will be back to a regular schedule next week. Um aside from that, find me in your dreams and or nightmares, depending.
0: Oh yeah. You can find uh me at twitch.com at JS4s find the podcast. At Come right with me on Twitter and Instagram. There's uh for episodes and articles. Cobra.com slash episodes to get direct links to different podcast services. CobMark.com slash merch for our merch, which goes to charity like the Trevor Project. Um, and then uh please send any questions to um podcast If you want to rate and view us on podcast, um that would be always great. Uh we have a uh, give away in the next couple of reviews, but yeah. Um, regardless, uh, we learned a lot. Um, I learned that sometimes it sucks to talk when you still have a little bit of COVID left in your throat, but <laughs> what'd you learn Steph?
1: I learned that sometimes your mixer just doesn't act right. And you have to slap it around a little bit to get it to make it to where you can hear your co-host.
0: No, yeah. Sometimes you have to uh, slap that mix up, as they said back in the.